high-minded, touchy, tenacious. That's how Dr. J. Vernon McGee describes Job and his friends. But today, a young man named Elihu has something to say to the crowd. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard for another great adventure in God's Word. Now, in just a minute, we're going to dive into Job chapters 32 and 33. But first, let's catch up with our world prayer team traveling through southern Africa. Greg, what do you got for us? Well, Steve, this week we are traveling through countries like South Africa, Botswana, Eswatini, which used to be known as Swaziland, and then Lesotho. Um, and, you know, Steve, we were in Africa, a different part of Africa, yeah. but uh, we were really touched just by the hunger that many of the people in these African countries have for the Word of God. Yeah, and it was just such an encouragement. The believers that are there are just the, the sweetest nicest i mean i'm sure they have a sin nature but they didn't show it to us and it was it was just a wonderful time of fellowship with believers from the other side of the world literally for us and as always we're just so encouraged that by the responses we get uh, from now here from south africa is one from our afrikaans broadcast i am 80 years old and have been listening on the Bible bus for four years. Okay, hmm. just let's stop. Isn't that awesome? We don't think often about somebody who's 76 becoming a new listener yeah. to Through the Bible. Yeah, especially in Africa, where yeah. the life expectancy is well below yeah. even when the guy started listening. Exactly. This letter goes on. Your presentation of the program is magnificent. I will ride this bus into eternity. That is, <laughs> I that love is such it. a wonderful picture. So great. Here's one from, at least from an age standpoint, someone more typically aged in Botswana, and they're listening to African English, by the Mm -hmm. way. I am a 35-year-old listener and was searching all over for a friend who could share the Word of God with me and to help me grow spiritually. I thank God for helping me find you on my small radio. You are so generous with the message of the cross. I introduced my friends to you, and they asked me how I came to know about through the Bible. I always say that it is by His grace. It is not easy to find such a wonderful source of reliable information. I love you, beautiful people. Uh, And what a letter like this says to me, Steve, is that the presenter of Dr. McGee's teaching in African English is he is being Dr. McGee. Because Mm -hmm. we see that here in North America. People just love Dr. McGee because of his pastoral presentation. Yeah. And it's, it's really encouraging when we get a letter like this to say, yes, that the tone, the pastoral tone and the, and the great content is being given out in that language. Now, let's, uh, go to Eswatini. As I said, formerly, uh, Swaziland, about a, about a million souls in that country. You want to read this? Sure. It says, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm a young man, a citizen of Eswatini. I would like to thank you for such wonderful sermons shared for us. Continue to encourage us as a new generation. Please, I also need your prayers. There are things in my life that are not working out accordingly, and I really need a breakthrough. I think I am trapped by my sin. Hmm. Wow. So what a wonderful selection, uh, cross selection of, of listeners, an 80 year old, a 35 year old, and then one who says he's a, a young man yeah. and probably just struggling with the things that all young people struggle with in a world like like today's world. So this is one of the things we love about how the Word of God is relevant to people at any stage of life. And uh, we're just so grateful that we're seeing this kind of fruit in Southern Africa. Yeah, I also am encouraged by... You know, even though these uh, folks that we hear testimonies from live in very different parts of the world, very far away from us, they have the same 
issues. They have the same sin struggles. Yeah. They have the same desires. They have the same fears. And they all need the same Savior, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And and that's what we can unite under. And I also think about this guy talking about riding the bus to eternity. I've talked about this before, but we're going to get to meet these folks. If you're yeah. on our world prayer team, or even if you're not, and you're just praying for these people, just think about the interaction we're going to have, all glorifying our Savior in heaven and being able to see the wonderful tapestry of God's providence and how he worked all things together for our good and his glory. That's a promise we have in Scripture, and that's what we're going to be able to participate in. And you can do that even now by praying for the ministry of Through the Bible as it goes out around the world. It's going to be great. Yes. Greg, why don't you pray for us? We're almost out of time. Father, we do all of this because we love you and with eternity in mind. We want more and more people to know your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. We pray that would happen over and over again through the ministry, through the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, studying through Job 32. Now last time, friends, we got started in the 32nd chapter. The three friends now are dismissed. And very frankly, I heave a sigh of relief and I'm thankful that they are through and I hope they've gone home. But now they no longer answer. Job has justified himself. And we began chapter 32 with this verse. So these three men cease to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And that, of course, was accurate. He was righteous in his own eyes. Then we are told there was a young man in the crowd there. He'd been listening. He wanted to speak. And the reason that he wanted to speak was because he's very angry. And he's angry because he feels that Job justified himself and condemned God. And then he feels that the three friends of Job have failed to adequately answer him. And when Elihu finally speaks, actually he speaks longer than any of the three friends of Job, and beginning here with chapter 32 all the way through chapter 37, and God will break in at that particular juncture, and rightly so, because notice what he says in verse 2 again. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the buzzite of the kindred of Ram, against Job was his wrath kindled. And we're told because he justified himself rather than God. And then, verse 3, against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer. There was no answer that the friends had given to Job. In all their reasonings, in all their arguments, we find that this man Eliphaz refers to experience. And Bildad, he's a legalist. He comes up with a law. And Zophar, why, he had put his on the basis of human authority. And now none of them had been able to come up with an answer. They had said, of course, many things that were true. I think these three friends had come up with many great truths, but they did not answer Job's problem. And there was a value, I think, in the controversy. And this is important for us to see. It teaches us, I think very definitely, that when two parties join issue, 
they can never reach an understanding unless there is on the part of one, our own part of both, a brokenness and a submissiveness and willing to be subdued and not contend for self. And my, there's a lot of high-mindedness abroad today outside the church and inside the church, as we've indicated. And that is what, of course, causes a great many of the problems that we have today. And this man here, of course, he's been high-minded, he's been touchy, he's been tenacious, and he's been easily provoked. And Job has been that way, and so is his friend. And they're not going to be able to come to any kind of understanding. And then, again, there was no answer. They had no answer. And I think we ought to say on their behalf that they found no answer. Why? Because of the fact when there is a self-righteous individual, only God can answer that. And we're going to find out God finally did have to break in and answer this man. And anything else, why the unbroken heart can find a ready reply, but not to God, of course. And we find here that Job's three friends, they had no answer. Elihu finally now breaks in, and he had waited. He says here in verse 4, Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. And that was apparently a different day than today is, because the young man today would have already broken in, and we find that little Willie has center stage. I've noticed, my, we do it in our family now with a grandson. I tell you, he's center stage up front all the time. We want to listen to him, of course, but I'm not sure that's wise. One man is asked, says, do you strike your children? And the man said, no, only in self-defense. That's the only time we strike them. And today, why, we have to listen to little Willie. But now we find here that this man, Elihu, a young man, has waited. And so, verse 5 again, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I'm young, you're very old, wherefore I was afraid, and I durst not show you mine opinion. I said, days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. And he thought they would come up with something very wise. I can remember when I began preaching as a young preacher, if I saw a gray head out in the congregation, and of course the journey was, I was frightened to death. Because I thought, my, they certainly know a great deal. But I soon learned that the gray head didn't necessarily mean wisdom at all. Just because they had length of days did not mean that they had wisdom. But now notice what this young man says here. He says, but there is a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Now, the very interesting thing here is that he doesn't have the same position that we have today relative to the Holy Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, apparently the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers. He came upon 
certain man to perform certain functions. Bezalel, the Spirit of God, came upon him. He was the one who made the articles of furniture in the tabernacle, the golden lampstand, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. And it required special skill. Spirit of God came upon him for that. And the Spirit came upon several of the great men. David could pray, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He'd come upon David as king. But there is no teaching in the Old Testament that men were indwelt by the Spirit of God. So don't attribute too much to what he's saying here other than this, that he recognizes that only the Spirit and only the inspiration of the Almighty can give understanding. This is a very wonderful thing. And that means simply this, friends, that there's only one sure authority, and that is the Word of God. Great men are not always wise, he says. Neither do the age understand judgment. And here the inspiration of the Almighty gives understanding. You recognize that only God could answer in a case like this. Now, he's preparing the way for God to answer, but he himself does not really have the answer. He just recognizes these other men did not. And now he moves on here. Great men are not always wise, neither do the age understand judgment. And that, of course, is true, and it's been demonstrated, I think, in the lives of these men here, that these men are not always wise. Now, will you notice as he moves down now, he says, Therefore I said, Hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion." Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons while ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. And that, of course, was absolutely true. Lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. And that disturbed him because... He had felt these men ought to be able to answer Job, and they hadn't been able to. And that disturbed him, and it disturbed him because Job now is very self-righteous, you see. He feels like that he stands vindicated in this position that he's in, feels very cocky, very self-confident, you see. And he's been battered and bruised. And by the way, that's what contrite really means. The word for contrite means bruise, and that is something that happened to Job. He'd been in the ring with Satan, and he'd been round after round, and now with his friends. And this man, Job, has come out bruised. There's no question about that. But he's not contrite yet. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou not despise. That's what David said. And this man, Job, doesn't have that yet, but he's bruised, and God's not through with him. God is going to move in upon him. And today, only God can answer the self-righteous, the proud, and the arrogant. Only God has an answer for folk like that. Every now and then, someone comes to me and said, I have a son. He's gone to college, and he's learned. He knows everything now. How do I answer him? Well, only God can deal with that boy. And the minute that you and I become self-righteous, 
You can be sure of one thing. We're apt to go into the ring with God, and you know he's going to bruise us. And that's the way most of us have to be treated. We have to be bruised. And that's what gives a contrite spirit. That's what brings us to the place of humility. My, that spirit that was exhibited, for instance, in the life of John Wesley. It said that Wesley was crossing a narrow bridge one time, and he met an enemy right in the middle of this little narrow bridge, and you couldn't pass. The enemy drew himself up, this fellow did, to his full height, and he says, I never give way to an ass. And Wesley looked at him for a minute, and he says, well, I always do. And he just backed off of the little bridge and let the man by. Always felt that was the best answer that could be given in a case like that. But not many men had been willing to back off, you see, Wesley was. And then a real contrite spirit. I think of the confession of Horatius Bonar. He said, I went to God to confess my coldness, my indifference, and my pride. And then he said, after I'd finished, I went back again to God and I repented of my repentance. Oh, my friend, that's when you can really get down low, when you're to the place where you can truly repent of your repentance, because it's very easy to be proud of your repentance. Now, well, you notice, and I'll drop down to verse 16. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. And we have here the suggestion that this man, Elihu, could be the author of the book. You notice what he's doing? He's using here, I, in the sense that as if he's writing it. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. I take it that this man could be the author of the book. Verse 17, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. For I'm full of matter. The Spirit within me constraineth me. And again, what a tremendous statement this man is making here. This man is saying that the Spirit of God has constrained him. I think that's one of the most wonderful things that he says here. I would like to say more, but I'll not say more. Today, we find that so many of us, we're high-minded, we're touchy. We are tenacious. We're like Job, easily provoked. And we're just as ready as he was to get into this business of vindicating ourselves. And we just don't want anyone to rebuke us at all. There's not that softness of tone or delicacy of touch. There's nothing of that which is tender and soothing. That's not that excellent oil to pour on troubled waters. We are high-minded. It's not that broken heart and weeping eye, and we're not bruised. We're not contrite. And we parade today. Isn't that true of those of us that are fundamentalists? We parade our own experience like Eliphaz, and we indulge in a legal spirit like this fellow Zophar, and then we introduce human authority like Bildad does. And there's none of the spirit and mind of Christ that is there. Oh, my. He says here, the spirit within me constrained me. It helped me back. 
As Scripture says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And most of us, we're just not quite like that. Maybe you are, but I'm probably talking about myself. Now he continues on, because he has the longest discourse of all. And in chapter 33, will you listen to him? He says, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches, and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue hath spoken in my mouth. He said, I'm going to speak. I'm going to say something here. And he's going to insist on several great truths here. Now listen to him. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Great truth, friends. Where did you come from, baby dear? (laughs) Out of the everywhere, into the here. Yes, but the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Now he says, if thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. He says, you've been wanting a man to represent you before God. And this young fellow, Elihu's willing to do that. He says, I'm made of the same clay you are. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity with me. And what he's saying here is, first of all, God's right in all that he does. God is right. Spirit of God hath made me. The breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Now, He goes on to say, not only is God right in all he does, God created man. And God is responsible to no one. Listen to him now as he moves down here. He says, he putteth my feet in the stocks, he marketh all my paths. Verse 12, behold, in this thou art not just. I'll answer thee that God is greater than man. God is responsible to no one. Listen. Verse 13, why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. I says, Joe, what is the big idea? That you think that you can answer God. God is not responsible to you. And you know, friends, God's not responsible to you either or to me. He's not responsible. He doesn't have to answer to me. Some people say, oh, why does God let this happen to me? I don't know why, friends. Because God's not responsible to you. He doesn't have to tell you. He doesn't have to tell me. He just asked me to trust him. God never said that I'd get out of the darkness. God says, put your hand in mine, and I'll lead you through the darkness. You trust me. And I didn't say I'd remove the darkness. Now, notice as he goes on, For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man receiveth it not. This is the way God speaks, I think, even to this day, to the heathen, in a dream in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon the bed. I think when you move way out yonder on the frontier today where the gospel has not gone the word of God, you will find that God uses the methods that he used in days gone by. Now will you notice verse 16, Then he openeth the ears of man, sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. That's the root trouble of Job, is this matter of pride that's gotten into his life here. Now, what he's saying is this. 
God instructs man through discipline. Notice verse 29. Lo, all things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. And God uses these things, as he says here. And he suggests, I think, the reason here actually for the incarnation is, Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I am also informed out of the clay. That's in verse 6 and 7. Makes the incarnation essential, by the way. This chapter is a tremendous chapter, as you can see. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Learn more about God's care when you're suffering by downloading your free copy of Dr. McKee's digital booklets, The God of All Comfort and Job, A Man Stripped Bear. Just go to ttb.org forward slash booklets or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find them. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time. Until then, invite God to do his work in your life and in others' lives around the world. You'll be so glad you did. Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.